And at school, they would teach us there is hell and there is heaven and there is God and there is the devil. And the Catholics don't talk about the devil. The Baptists do. And because the Catholics don't talk about the devil, I would say at school, the devil does not exist. And I would just challenge my teacher. And I was like, no, you're wrong. The devil does not exist. And my mother was called out at school to, to discuss this issue, why your daughter does not believe in the devil. And it was like embarrassing. But yeah, so I remember growing up as uh, such as uh, in, in this uh, duality. And then my favorite, my best friends and neighbors, they were Jewish. So I had a lot of contact with the Jewish uh, religion as well. And then my parents start to develop uh, an approach and, and, and an, appeal, uh, an appeal for, for cardicism. So the spiritism and, and the cardicism religion, which is not a religion, it's more a philosophy. It's more a philosophy than a religion because there are Jewish who are cardicists and then uh, in Catholics and whatever. It can be whatever. I was very confused by all that. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. It was safer back in 2000. When I lived in Miami, it was much safer than it is today here in the U.S. Even in Miami, Miami is a very mixed um, city, mixed cultures, people from everywhere. You would think that the crime rate would be increased because of this, but uh, it was really safe. It was really peaceful. And now it's changed. We hear, we see the news. That's sad. That's sad. Yeah, because I remember going to South Beach and people walking around and felt very safe being yeah. there. So the haves and the have nots. I don't know if it actually boils down to that inequality and so forth, but that's a, a bigger conversation for another day. I'm wondering then still, like, how do you balance being successful coming from a collectivist society and certain cultural expectations that you be altruistic, give back to your community, support family, support friends, people tapping you for things, you know, how do you balance that? I think I'm going to start telling you a story because it has to do with the means I found to balance this within myself and to help people out. Uh, when I was an evangelist at Google, I was also a facilitator of a workshop called I Am Remarkable. That workshop was created at Google, but it's independent now and people can, can go and, and, and take the workshop and, and uh, hire people to facilitate it. But basically, the goal of this workshop is to help women overcome what they, say, what, what they call the imposter syndrome. And I was facilitating it. And every time I was with these women in these groups, it's a 90-minute workshop, right? And every time I was with these women in these groups, like people would feel like the women would feel amazed by the effect of the workshop because they it's the first time they start to think about their value and all that. But for certain women, and almost in any group that would happen, certain women would feel... Uh, kind of uh, worried and sad and um, mm -hmm. uh, uncomfortable with the outcomes because they it's like 
you know, you know, when you're talking about something that's really hard for you and it feels like you open that door in your mind and then a lot of things start to come out of this and you cannot control because you were hiding them for so long. The, the workshop has the power to do that. And some women were feeling that way. And I was uncomfortable with that. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm here opening little doors in people's minds and I'm not helping them control it and tame it later. So I need to do something about it. With that, I started studying psychology. So now I'm studying for my master's degree in psychology at Harvard. This is something that I'm doing uh, and, and I love it. It's my happy place. I love studying psychology. And I realized that... When we talk about the imposter syndrome, we are talking about something else. We are talking about what's called the imposter phenomenon. That's how the term was coined. This expression was coined by two doctors who noticed that something had been created in society to actually anchor women's and, and hold women's back, women back. They did not, men did not want women to take control. So they created these artificial tools to make us feel like we are not worth it. We're not as good as we should and all this thing. So this is a phenomenon. This is the construct in society. And that, that exploded my mind. It blew my mind away because it makes a huge difference, Simone. When we talk about a phenomenon versus a syndrome, yeah. if I'm talking about a syndrome, it means that you are sick, that I am sick. Syndrome is a collective of symptoms that you have coming from different diseases. This is a syndrome. We are not sick. We are not ill. We are the victims or the targets of an imposter phenomenon that exists out there. When I realized this, that's how I created my methodology at my company story. And I felt that I started to help women much more because I'm, I'm able to help them heal from it. If they understand that they are not sick, that they have to fix their relationship to something that's out there in the world, it's much easier for you to overcome the imposter phenomenon. It's much easier. And then they become strong and they find this, their superpowers. And it's so much more interesting and, power, and empowering and uh, uh, powerful in the end. So to answer your question, once I did this, I realized that I don't need to balance it anymore because I'm going to be as successful as the amount of women that I help become successful. And, and that's my equation. Right. Very interesting. This whole idea of the imposter phenomenon. And it's interesting too, because I actually made a post yesterday. I was watching a, a quote, a little clip there from Lisa Nichols, who's this big public speaker. And uh, you hear it a lot. Uh, a few times it's come across in my space where I'm reminded that at times, if a flower stops blooming, right? And, and it starts quailing up and things like that. Sometimes it's just the environment that it's in. So you would remove it from being inside the house and put it outside in the front, in the, in the sunlight. And all of a sudden it starts blooming. And so that's how we are, right? We don't change who we are 
or what we are, we just cha- need to change the environment. And, and a lot of times this whole issue of imposter, it's about the environment that we find ourselves and how we need to make changes to that environment or remove ourselves from that environment. And then we start blossoming and we start seeing different things. You know, the triggers might decrease and so forth. So that's an interesting analogy there that you're giving us about these women and imposter phenomenon. So still, I'm wondering if uh, about religion, because a big that's a big deal here in the U.S., right? And it's viewed differently around the world and, and so forth. So how have you been able to navigate that and how people might view you? Are you considered a heathen? <laughs> it's funny because I do not you know what Simone I I should be doing better in this area I I was raised Catholic in Brazil Brazil is very Catholic I was raised a Catholic in Brazil and I studied in a Baptist school my whole life wow yes and and it's fine because they're both Christians so there are similarities but there is there are two big differences uh, coming from one side and 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 doing all the things in Catholic Church and going to the mass on Sundays and then being at school I love more the school thing than the church thing I love the Baptist because uh, the the songs for example they were much happier in the Baptist school than the songs we sing in a Catholic church in 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 general so I was like well I preferred that way I preferred the bands here. I also prefer the image of the cross without Jesus Christ hanging in there. So the Baptists, they only have the cross because Jesus, uh, he's alive. So there is no reason for having him hanging on the cross. While Catholics still have him on the cross because it's like, well, you have to remember he died for you. So I, I grew up with these things in my mind. And there was one funny episode when I was six or seven and at school they would teach us there is hell and there is heaven and there is God and there is the devil and the Catholics don't talk about the devil the Baptists do and because the Catholics don't talk about the devil I would say at school the devil does not exist and I would just challenge my teacher and I was like no you're wrong the devil does not exist and my mother was called out at school to, to discuss this issue, why your daughter does not believe in the devil. And it was like embarrassing, but yeah. So I remember growing up as uh, such as uh, in, in this uh, duality. And then my favorite, my best friends and neighbors, they were Jewish. So I had a lot of contact with the Jewish uh, religion as well. And then my parents start to develop uh, an approach and, and, and an appeal uh, an appeal for for cardicism so the spiritism and and the cardicist religion which is not a religion it is more a philosophy a philosoph- it's more a philosophy than a religion because there are jewish who are cardicists and then uh, in catholics and whatever it can be whatever i was very confused by all that which reflects a lot of how Brazilians are. We are mixed. There is mixed religions in Brazil as well. So there are lots of uh, cults around Umbanda and Candomblé. They're Afro, uh, they're African religions. 
and uh, there are the goddess like Yemanja, she's the goddess of the oceans and the waters and she's adored in Brazil. She's adored. People throw white roses in the ocean for her. So there is a mixture. It's it's beautiful and so rich and so powerful. And, and there is the mix with the songs and the food. A lot of our food comes from candomblé food, from, from this, this from the religion and how they cook and how they do their things. And then I came to the US and I feel like I, I don't I don't go to any churches. I don't go anywhere. I do talk to my mentors mentally. And I do have my mentors. I feel, I, I believe in God. I feel God's power in my life. And I thank him and, or her, I thank God for everything. And I talk to God, I speak to God and I read, um, I, I, I read sometimes the, the, the Cardassist books and I read sometimes the Bible uh, and I, I'm connected with this, but I'm also connected to the nature forces and to the moon and and every time that I'm, I'm I'm out there in the forest I'm like oh my gosh this feels like God is here the presence of God my dogs my dogs when they look at me I'm like this is God to me this this is this is power this is faith so I do have a lot of faith I do not have a religion and uh, sometimes I feel like maybe I should have it just to create a more strict cadence and make sure that I'm connected all the time. But I, I don't, I don't know why I don't. Right. Right. It's been, it's been my journey too. Like coming from a small Island where you have a lot of denomination in the Christian faith. And coming here, my spirituality has evolved, I think, as I've gotten older and nature and, you know, international travel really broadens your perspective about religion and the people and, and religious doctrine and versus spirituality and learning to not box people in because they are of a certain um, religious faith and so forth and really to zoom out and to see people's humanity. And that's how I choose to relate to people because I come across people of different faith all the time. And I just don't want to be looking at them or having certain mental narratives that are dominant in the culture, as soon as I experience someone, it really blocks you from really experiencing their humanity. And so I'm on a journey right now of just really zooming out and really seeing the, the humanity of people. And we can all get along. We really don't need to be hating or, you know, perceiving people because of what we've been taught that a lot of times could be so incorrect because we've never experienced people, but it's something that people have said and it passes down in your thoughts and then you judge people because of that. So it's it's a journey, right? In the immigrant experience as you become as you live in this very salad bowl of a country with people from everywhere. Quite an interesting journey with religion. I'm very curious about religions. I love to learn more about whatever people believe. I, I think it's beautiful to to get to know people better because of their faith, through yeah. their faith. And, yeah. and even atheists, I, I speak with them and I want to understand what motivates them not to believe in anything, for example. And, and it's interesting. 
No, I find that actually interesting too. And I would love to interview somebody because for me, having a belief in an intelligent being or something greater than myself actually kind of directs how I operate and go about in the world, whether you call it God, the divine, the universe, whatever word, or whatever your word for it is, right? Just that overarching belief that there's an intelligent being and and you are part of, um, you know, this realm, right? And connected with that intelligent being and can be influenced by it. But I often wonder, like, what is it like in the mind of a person who considers themselves an atheist? Like, how do they handle challenges? Because a lot of times when we, when life hits us hard and you, we are just without explanations, without words, when we go through difficulties, like that's where you tap into that, you know, other side of you just to make sense of, of the world around you and your experiences. So I wonder how do they, how do they see life? How do they go about their everyday? I, I'm really curious, you know? So hopefully I'll get to talk with somebody to just talk about their everyday life, not as in a judgmental way, but just because I'm curious, like, how do they, how do they go about every day and handle challenges when it really hits you? Same, yes. And so we were chatting before we started the recording still about some workplace experiences that you had and and being let go by a boss who was pretty upfront about the fact that you uh, they didn't like the way you presented. <laughs> I'm wondering like, you know, have you been able to show up as your authentic immigrant self as you've moved about different places, California, the northeast, or the northwest, the northeast, living in the south in in Florida, like have you been able to show up as your authentic immigrant Brazilian self, vibrant with your colors and what was that like for you? I'm proud to say, yes, I have. I do believe that it's changed with maturity as well. I was very insecure in the past to show up as myself. Uh, my passion for colors, my passion for makeup, my passion for um, shiny jewelry and all that. Like, oh, I, I, have, I have my sequins in the morning and I do love being that way. And now I feel... I feel okay and I can pull off basically anything and, and show my colors and, and show my authenticity everywhere. But it was not easy. It was a journey. I, I, I'd say it was a journey. Uh, I feel like here in the U.S., people are less judgmental overall. In, people compliment you on the streets and that's amazing. Like I used to walk in New York and people are like, oh, I love your shoes. Oh, I love your, I love your look. I love your top. Oh, nice haircut. People say that sort of thing to you, whereas in Brazil, it does not happen. Uh, people just look at you in a funny way, in a kind of judgmental way, if you're not fitting in. And I, that's mm -hmm. how I was raised. And I don't know if it's because there is a lot of competition, women against women in general. Uh, we are raised to compete against each other, which is awful. So there's always comparison. We are raised comparing ourselves to each other. Oh, wait, my hair is not as pretty as her hair. Oh, my clothes are not as nice as her clothes. And, and that sort of thing, since we're children, probably that unhealthy um way of uh, raising kids and and uh, of fostering behaviors uh, throughout life lead us to that sort of behavior when we're grown-ups and that's ridiculous I, I just hate that so I feel like I'm I'm even more 
I'm, I feel free here in the US and mm -hmm. I do not feel as free in Brazil. Probably in Brazil, I would like, oh, let me choose my outfits more carefully. So I make sure that I, I will fit in. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And I would actually think it was the flip, the other way around. You, you know, because as I said, Brazil is very rich in culture. So black women in Brazil, they wear their clothes that come from, from their heritage and their history and the way they wear their braids and they wear their hair and the, the jewelry, everything that relates to their culture. This is very powerful and can be considered very Brazilian just because there are many of those there, which is beautiful. It makes the country more colorful than anything. But if I do this, it's like you're a white woman. You're you're wearing some. So there is a, a sort of appropriation sense. So I'm not going to be as beautiful as a black woman wearing this. So why am I even trying? So go back to your white women's clothes. So uh, I, I'm exaggerating here, right? So just to paint, paint you a picture, it's not ipsis literis. It's not like that exactly, but it feels like it. So if you come from a certain heritage and, and from a certain culture like Muslim, it's going to be beautiful that you wear your clothes, the burqa and, and the things that you have to wear and that you're empowered to wear and that you love to wear to bring your culture and your identity forth. But if I'm just uh, like I'm a mixed like Lebanese, Syrian, Portuguese and Spanish, it, it's a mix that does not tell much. Like you do not see this if you look at me and like people say, oh, I see I see the, the Arab eyes. I see I see some things, but it's not that's very clear. So if it's not that clear, there is no identity in your clothes and the way you wear. There is no particularity, anything like that. So you just, uh, then if you go to the corporate world, you start to fit in. You start to just be as corporate as you can. However, we can add some things to make sure that we are differentiating ourselves. So I do this through makeup. I love a red lipstick and I do wear red lipstick in the morning. And yes, it can be a problem to some people, but uh, even in Brazil, Brazil, women do not wear a lot of makeup all the time. They're, they're like the fresh skin and, and that's beautiful, but I love makeup and I would put my eyeliner on and the red lipstick and people are like, oh, are you going to a party? No, I'm just going to my 8 a.m. meeting and, and that's it. So I do that and jewelry, for example. So I do wear big, uh, big rings and big earrings and, and shiny stuff. So I add a little flair here and there just to ensure that I'm trying and that I'm showing up as myself because otherwise I, I cannot just be bland and, and wear like beige suits and blue navy shirts. No, that's not me. Put in pulling some of that Brazilian flair in there. Now I get it. I get it. Right. And sometimes that can be, depending on the workspace that you're in, might not be acceptable, right? Because people oh. in American um, corporate setting, people tend to prefer like this... Um, bland uh way of showing up to work right um oh and, and but here here in, in well 
it's my area, right? I come from advertising and Google technology. So it's fun. I was lucky to work in environments that were fun in general. But I do see like, especially in New York, women wearing black all the time. It's black is the norm, I would say. Yes, yes. So if you're listening from overseas and coming here to work, you know, make sure you do your research on what is expected in the American workplace. It's not as vibrant as other places, right? So it could be, it could work against you. Let's put it that way, right? Yes, yes. We have to be careful. I mean, when we travel, I, I think one magical thing about different cultures is trying to understand the culture and put yourself in their shoes. So Part of it is the way you express yourself through your clothes. Why not wear, I'm not going to wear a mini skirt if I visit an Arabic country, for example, because it's not respectful. It's dangerous and it's not respectful. So you do not do that. So you do your research to when you go to countries that are more explicit in their rules. Why not to do this when you go to any country? Like how, how do people work in Spain? How do people work in Canada? How do people work in Brazil? How, how do they dress for that? Yes, yes, yes. So I like to bring in a little humor here, uh, Seal, and I wonder if you have any faux pas that you'd like to, whether it's humorous or more on the serious side, anything over the years that you're like, oh, well, culturally, this was my view of it, but it's really not accepted socially here. Anything that comes to mind? Goodness. You know, I did not prepare to that question, but it's such a good one. Well, I remember... Because I said miniskirt, probably came came to mind right away, yeah. So I remember in one of those talks that I gave when I was at Google, it was for 150 men from Asia. So I think they're mostly Japan and Korea, probably. Um, and they come from the finance industry. So I was giving a talk. Uh, and you can imagine, like these are very these are these are countries that do not have their women on top of their leadership positions, right? Uh, they're usually men. There were only men in that room, one hundred and fifty men. And I was up there in on stage, and I was speaking with them. Wow! And then it was it was it was a lot of pressure already, but that not being enough, technology failed. And all of a sudden, I did not have a presentation to run through. I uh, it was it, it just blacked out. I did not have anything on screen, and I I was nervous and I could not remember everything that I had to say. So I was trying to buy myself some time while the tech guys were trying to fix the mistake, the problem, and. I said something because I was like, well, I continue my my rationale and I finished the whole chapter of what I had uh, I was telling them. But then I was going to move on to the next chapter in between. I was like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And I said something to them that was like, um, you know, when you're selling something and you're using a story, you're telling a story to sell. You have to make sure that your story is like a miniskirt. And they were like, and then I said, your story should be short enough to keep people interested, but long enough to cover the important parts. And they cracked up. 
And I felt like, well, it, it, it's kind of a macho um, joke. Uh, it, it, it kind of it does not suit well for a, women, a woman to do that. But at the same time, I needed desperately to connect with men and showing that I was able to make them laugh and that I I was connected with them. Yeah, sorry, it should be like mini skirts. It kind of, it's kind of flirty, but I'm not saying anything that's actually bad or diminishing for women. I'm just talking about a piece of clothes here. They were laughing and that actually made it broke the ice it made everything flow quickly and and smoothly afterwards so it was it was not like a faux pas but for me it was something that it was hard to pull off and uh, it was well it was it had a happy ending in the end but not happy ending in the end it was it had a happy ending <laughs> But uh, but it's still complicated because it's cultural. I, I did not know how they would receive it, you know? But it worked. It, it worked, worked because as men, as men, they immediately had the visual. They get it because, you know, they're looking when they see miniskirts. So they got the point right yeah. away. Effective communication and building rapport. That was so cool. And I'm, I can see the, just listening to you tell it, like I, I'm there in the room hearing you say it and seeing them laugh and they get it immediately. So that was yeah. awesome. So yeah, um, the, to, and, and to add to it, I feel like uh, every time that we feel there is uh, something complicated for us to deal with culturally, building the bridge and trying to make the connection is the key. And sometimes you have to take the extra mile. It's not them we're gonna do this. Sometimes you have to do this. And for that, it doesn't mean that I'm not gonna that I'm gonna diminish myself as a woman. That I'm gonna uh, do anything that's against my values. But sometimes I do have to stretch a little bit and go to the uncomfortable zone so I can connect. Yes, 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 yes. So much that you're sharing there. So so leading into what you do with your course and everything around telling stories, tell us a little bit more about it and how people can either take your course, connect with you, collaborate in any way, and where do they find you still? Well, thank you for this opportunity. I'm currently giving a group class and it's already on the third class and it's been amazing. And I will have more group classes coming on in December this year. I will have uh, intensive classes. So there is there is going to be one day. Uh, I think it's uh, we are planning for three hours of workshop in English and one day in Portuguese. So both Portuguese and English speakers, obviously Spanish speakers as well. If there is a big, uh, a big interest, I can open classes for Spanish too. Uh, so this group classes, I highly recommend because it's when you see that you're not alone. You connect with people feeling the same way. So. Today in my group class, I have a lot of badass executive women who are who have their struggles, but they're amazing. They're top leaders in their areas and they're amazing, but they recognize the struggles and they, they connect with each other and it makes it so much more powerful. 
it, the intensive classes uh, are aiming at helping you build your story and build your personal narrative. It can be your personal narrative, your professional narrative. It can be your product. Maybe you're launching um, a startup or, or you're launching your company. You need to shape up the story that you're telling people. You're going after funds. You're pitching uh, VCs. I don't know. This For all of that, you need a good story. And, and that's what I help you to, to do. That's why I say I help you talk the walk because we are very good in our walks. We walked a lot and we've done a lot, but we are not as good as we should in talking about the walk. So that's what I help people do. You can find me uh, in my website. It's silkuriati, S-I-L-C-U-R-I-A-T-I.com. You can find me on services there, the type of services you're going to see um, how you enroll to these intensive classes. You can always uh, use the form and the website to reach out if you want one-on-ones, if you want to test uh, some time with me and see if I could be a good coach for you. I do one-on-ones as well. And I also work with companies. So I do train People in companies for selling skills, for presentation skills, uh, up-leveling their executive presence and all that sort of thing. So I'm open to work one-on-one, group classes with individuals or corporate. Very well, very well. And people can reach out to you. We will make sure to get all the details and post them in the show notes. It's been such a pleasure, Sil, hearing your story and you had such great insights to share. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Immigrant Experience in America. Thank you, Simone, for having me and thank you for doing this job. As I said in the beginning, I think it's critical and it's so empowering to all of us. I love listening to your show and watching it. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much. We wish you much success in your business. And I will definitely be connecting with you about, you know, getting my stuff in order as it um, concerns telling my story and so forth here as I'm on a journey. But I'll reach out separately on LinkedIn and we'll talk some more. Okay. Sounds wonderful. Have a beautiful New Jersey afternoon or a day. It's approximately 1130 on the East Coast. Yes. Enjoy the rest of your day and your weekend. And it was a pleasure having you here. And you too. Thank you again. Take care. Take care, Sal. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.